0: Hello and welcome to Beatles Cast. I'm your host Brett Bessa.
1: Beatles Cast is going to be a different name, man.
0: No, it's Beatles Cast. Yeah. Okay, well then, what's your idea? Well, what's your big idea?
1: One, two, three,
0: four. Hello and welcome to Beatles Therapy. I'm your host Brett Bessa. So, welcome. You found yourself here from wherever you are, but where is here exactly? And what is this thing? And what am I doing? Well, this is a podcast. About the Beatles you might have surmised that from the title but I thought it was worth repeating now just for some full disclosure I'm an amateur I'm not a Beatles historian I am not an author I'm not a radio producer I just really like the Beatles so I thought I'd create a podcast because I'm also a fan of podcasts and as anyone who knows me will tell you I can't shut up about the Beatles I will talk and talk and talk about it. So I figured I might as well just stick a microphone in front of my mouth and see who will listen. So just a little bit of background about me. I've been a fan for years now, but recently in the past two years or so, I feel my, uh, I've gone from just normal fan to sick obsessive. (laughs) I do have a bit of a problem. I just am finding myself... Trying to find anything because I've already listened to the studio albums in both mono and stereo. I have you know, all the live at the BBC recordings and the live at the Hollywood Bowl and the anthology series, and so I think I'm running out of new material to find that they've done and listened to. So this is the next step for me: is instead of just listening to the Beatles, is just talking about the Beatles. So. That's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from the perspective of just a very dedicated fan. Now, as far as the future goes in this podcast, what I'm going to be planning on doing are three main types of episodes. The first is going to be a song-by-song breakdown of the Beatles' career from I Saw Her Standing There All the Way to the End. Well, not the song The End because the song The End isn't the end of the Beatles' recording career, but you can get what I'm getting at. Um, I'm just going to be going song by song on the album track list in the order that the albums were released and along the way just talking about the evolution of the song from any uh, studio takes that they might have done, if they did any live takes, all the way to the album take and how the song evolved in the interim and if it had any significant impact on the culture. Um, And then once we're done with all the songs in an album, I'll probably do a recap episode just about the album as a whole, what impact it had on the culture, talk about the album artwork on that, you know, that kind of deal. The second type of episode I'll be doing are interview podcasts because I think the Beatles inspire conversation, not just among crazy obsessives like me, but even amongst people who aren't such crazy fans, but people just like to talk about what they're passionate about. And I find the Beatles inspire a lot of passion. Um, And that will be comprising the latter half of this episode. The third main type of episode I'm going to be doing are just emergency episodes. If any news breaks, I'll share my thoughts and opinions about that. Uh, If there's a new release, I will review that and tell you guys what I think about it. So we're going to get into our first Tell Me Why segment. It's the, uh, the interview, but I'm calling it Tell Me Why because that's the title of the song. You get it? So uh, just full disclosure, Charlie's my best friend, so I thought he would be the first person I should uh, talk to about this. So uh, without further ado, here's Charlie. Charlie, welcome to Beatles Therapy.
1: Brett, thank you so much for having me on today. Well,
0: you're welcome, man. I mean, full disclosure, Charlie's my best friend, also a fellow Beatles fan. Probably not as big as I am. I think that's pretty hard to do. There are people out there. I mean, I'd be surprised. It happens. But you know, as far as non-professionals go, yeah, I got a bit of a problem. I was actually, um, I was watching that uh, the Fab Four did a concert, and they aired that on KCPT the other day. And and my little sister Allison comes in. And she's she's like, Brett, I'm worried about you. <laughs> and I'm like, why? I'm just watching them. She's like, it's not even really them. I'm like, yeah, but it's as close as I'm ever gonna get. So there I, you go. I think
1: it was a lot of people are worried about you.
0: Well, thanks, Charlie. I appreciate that. No problem. I appreciate the concern. Just some friendly advice. Okay, cool. Um, so I'm having you on the podcast because yep. I, you know we talk about the Beatles. A lot. I think it, it probably takes up 70, 75% of our conversations.
1: I, really? Well, yeah. I think there's a lot of it we can't say. It's only behind closed doors. Right. But Beatles for, yeah. Yeah. majority yeah, of our conversations.
0: we got to keep that behind that locked door. Um, we, we should. Yeah. At all costs. But, I mean, I, I just part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place is because I noticed we just talk about this crap all the time, and I figured why not record it and just let other people listen to it because you know it's so engaging Uh,
1: maybe well we'll we'll, find
0: out we'll try our best yeah yeah we'll see what people think um so i guess my first sort of uh question for you is always to kind of go back to a beginning is when do you first remember hearing the beatles like when is your first distinct memory of listening to them and actually hearing the beatles
1: yeah, and I like that you asked this question, because I don't think you and I have ever sat down and talked about this topic. No. The first time I remember hearing the Beatles was, it was sixth grade, our teacher had this project that he did, mm-hmm. where he played a Beatles song, and he just wanted us to kind of go around the room and share what we thought it meant to us. And and what was the song? The song was Eleanor Rigby. It's classic. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially for me, as a classic, I, it's mm-hmm. the first one I heard, and it's the my song that till this day is my favorite Beatles song.
0: Really, it's yeah. your
1: favorite one. Favorite Beatles song, yes, sir. I mean, well, why is that? I just like the kind of that. It's sad. It sounds sad. It's really sad. But to me, it was so interesting. I didn't, I didn't know exactly what I knew now about the song, mm-hmm. but back then it was more just. It, this the words it just kind of hit me. It was, it was. A, I, I got a feeling from it that I don't think I felt before from the from the music. I haven't heard anything like
0: that before at that age. And a lot of people only know the Beatles, especially at that kind of age where it's just, you know, I want to hold your hand, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get into some of their later stuff and you're like, whoa, what is this? I
1: didn't know the Beatles could do this. Yes, and I I, I want I wish I could go back and thank that teacher for... He could have chose any song, any more of an upbeat song or song that, yeah. that I don't know, a lot of people have heard before, but Eleanor Rigby, it was interesting that he chose that song and it just... It's. I don't have any other memories from that class except really? him playing that song and going around the room and expressing what you felt from that song. What other people get out of that song, do you remember? No, I honestly don't. I was a very self-centered <laughs> child. I just remember what I said. You're still a self-centered
0: child, if that helps. I can be, thank you. No, you're welcome. Yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's an outlier in sort of the Beatles' career. For one thing, it's just... It's, it's one of the few Beatles songs to only have one Beatle on it. It's just Paul McCartney singing, and mm-hmm. the rest is just a string section that they brought in. But God, it, you're right. It's sad. It is a just a downer and a depressing song, but it's so well done.
1: And I don't think it makes me feel that way. Listening to that song, I don't really. feel sad and I don't feel down. It just mm-hmm. it just makes you think about what maybe he was going through.
0: Yeah. And they were going through a hard time around that. I mean, that was they were recorded that in 66. And that was after they came off the road. And if someone has either seen the anthology documentary series or the eight days a week Ron Howard documentary that just came out, you would know that they were just tired of touring kind of wanted to break out a little bit and do some more experimental stuff, and Paul was kind of in this place where he's just feeling strung out almost and just, okay, I yeah, need a break, and we need a, just a new frame of mind. How was his relationship with John at that time? Um, at that time, it was fraying. I mean, not to the extent that it was later, and they were still friends, but this is. The, they took a three month break before recording Revolver after they came off the road, and that was kind of the first time in years where they'd just kind of had time to be by themselves, not as part of the unit. Okay. You know? So they're off kind of exploring their own interests. Paul's getting into the avant garde scene in London, but they were just. Kind of off doing their own thing for a while. So would you would you say that is
1: maybe Paul's first time to really express his feelings in that song? I would I know it. he's been with the band, he's been with all of them, and it's hard to kind of have your own individual voice. Do you think that was his kind of his moment to have that?
0: It was. It definitely built on what had come before because yesterday. Was they considered putting that out as a solo McCartney record because it, he was one of the only ones to write it, and it was it didn't really fit in with the rest of the Beatles catalog. So a lot of people look at Eleanor Rigby as a, a kind of an evolution of what he was doing there. But uh, yeah, I mean I don't know if it was the f- first time, but it was definitely sort of a, uh, a signifier. Of hey, this is you know the band's going into new territory here, and they're starting to experiment a lot, and it's going to get weird.
1: <laughs> it did get weird.
0: Yeah, oh, it did, and that's that's some of my favorite Beatles stuff is when they do get weird, take it to some interesting places. Um, but Eleanor Rigby, God, that is one hell of a song, and I know you say it doesn't make you feel sad, and I guess this just sort of speaks to the differences in art and how it can affect different people. I was going through a you know, sad teenage phase when I was 16, and that was a song I really latched on to. Really? Yeah, especially that lyric where uh, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? I really attached to that lyric at that time. You know, you're going through your first breakup or whatever, and you're like, oh, I'm in so much pain, and then you're like, yeah, this guy gets it. He understands.
1: It would be interesting. I think that you could ask a hundred different people about that lyric and what they felt, and I think you'd get a hundred different answers.
0: Well, that's why I'm doing this podcast. Touche. You know, I do think it speaks to how, um, how art can affect different people in so many different ways. But also, I, I think how what you're saying is that you remember just that out of that class. It speaks to how profoundly the Beatles can affect people in a way that I think few other artists do
1: oh yeah I don't think I could name any other artist I listened to at that time at that age I think even from the next from that the next five years I couldn't name another artist that I listened to that I had wow a wow moment and remembered it so vividly Mm -hmm. which is just such a special experience and and everyone, I everyone that listens to the Beatles has that some experience with it.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. It's a, it's, a, it's at least
1: one. At least if one, not, yeah. you know, more. So different ages, different cultures can connect to to these four guys. It's, yeah, it's
0: amazing. And that's part of why I don't get tired of listening to the Beatles very much, is because they're so. There's so much depth in what they did, and so much range, and how they, uh, in what kinds of s- music they were making.
1: And I feel like whatever your mood you're in, you can get a different message from the music. Mm-hmm. If you're in, if you're in kind of a, a low mood, you can listen to a song and you can connect to it in in that frame of mind. And then you could listen to it a week later when you're happy and have a totally different message to you. It could, it's amazing. It's, yeah, I don't know
0: any other
1: artist that can do that
0: yeah i mean i have a playlist of just sad Beatles songs and i have a playlist of just happy Beatles songs really yeah oh yeah I, especially my sad beatles playlist god that's i that get played a lot these days uh, i mean it, it yeah there are certainly definitely time periods where yeah it can be something that i rely on to be like hey i'm going through a rough time i need some help here i need some uh Something to hang on to.
1: Well, I hope with the, the recent news that we, we start seeing more of the, the happy music.
0: I would, I, I, you'd hope so. I mean, people can find different things and what they want out of... Uh, again, it just goes to their uh, that Breath of Back catalog that they have. It's like, hey, I can listen to Getting Better because when I'm feeling great, God, I, I'll play that song. It's not one of their, you know, quote unquote, best songs or one of the greatest things they ever did. But man, that's just an, that can be an expression of such joy. Or then when you're down, you can listen to a song like I'm a loser or something like that. Right. Yeah.
1: No, I, I really definitely agree. It's I think we can we can almost pinpoint moments in our life or experiences that we've been through and put a Beatles song to each one. Yeah, I know I can. Yeah. Loser. Yeah, I know he mentioned I'm a loser. I played that after a breakup. and
0: Yeah, you were telling me about that. Uh, do you want to go over that again a little bit? We could. Do you think the the audience wants to hear that? I, I think they do. All right. Audience, what do you have to say? I got no reply.
1: So I was with this girl, and we dated for a while, both both Beatle fans. It, mm-hmm. it, one day, we just went through a rough day. We are just kind of talking about future and stuff like that. and I guess in my teenage teenage kind of i don't know the feelings i had you know how it is yeah i said if i break up with you you can you can dedicate that song to me we broke up a month later mm. a couple of days later in my inbox was that song oh She 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 stood true to it to yeah that, to that to that commitment so I, I thought it was and i listened to it and it helped it honestly listening to it and knowing that I'm not alone, that you can write a song that reaches out to millions and millions of people about those feelings, then I, I felt okay to feel those feelings as well. And I think that it, it got me through sadder times in my life. And mm-hmm. I still continue listening to it. And it doesn't mean I feel like a loser. It just, I feel okay feeling those feelings because I know someone else went through those feelings. Yeah.
0: And speaking of that song, John at that time, he was never really much of a happy person. You have that song, and then the next album you have Help on Help, which is literally a cry for help. But he expressed a lot of feelings when, theoretically, you should be on top of the world. You know, you're the most famous people in the world. You have, you know, the greatest selling music. He felt like he was a loser.
1: And I think that's, it's so perfect that you call this Beatles therapy. Mm-hmm. because there is Beatles therapy yeah there really is I think that there is some therapeutic messages from these from this music and I think it helps a lot of people get through hard times and it
0: also helps you through the good times it keeps you high which I think is a it's a wonderful thing yeah absolutely I mean that was a uh, a concept that I came up with when I was. Yeah, it wasn't a particularly hard time, but I I was just feeling a little low one day. And so I threw on Hard Day's Night, just the whole album from front to back. And and I thought to myself, I need a little Beatles therapy. Um, And then we were talking a while back, and you said, yeah, you know, Beatles therapy. And it reminded me of that. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I think a lot of people need sometimes. So I, (laughs) yeah believe me, I go through a lot of Beatles therapy myself. Do you think there's some therapist listening to this and just cringing right now? Oh, probably. And I'm not gonna... Yeah, this is uh, extremely dubious advice, so if we're uh, handing anything out, you know, don't listen to us as your medical professionals. Especially from a a psych nurse, maybe.
1: Well, I mean, (laughs) you are a
0: medical professional, but you're not being paid right now. I'm not paying you to do (laughs) this. I'm not on the clock. (laughs) No, no, this is off the clock. But... And this is what... You know, and I've run across a few people in my life where i notice that music just isn't a part of their life in any significant degree and i feel bad for them and not in like a oh i pity you way but in a gen- in from a genuine place of that makes me sad because when i'm feeling down or when i have going through a hard time or when i'm going through something happy or anything in between this is a rock that i keep coming back to and this is how i and i think a lot of people Process their feelings is through music,
1: yeah. and it's not to single out. I think it's it's not just Beatles therapy; it's music therapy. I think that's actually a medically used thing. I don't think that Beatles help us. We connect to it, but there's even today's music, pop songs you can listen to, and yeah, you can be in a relationship and it, it connects to you. So
0: yeah, and it's a way to
1: kind of express how you feel when you can't do it yourself.
0: Yeah, and definitely, it, this is not to say that the Beatles are completely unique in that regard. But they do, I find, have a, a reach that other bands don't, and there's a variety, a huge variety,
1: with them. I don't know how yeah. many bands have their, because they're around for so long, and they also went through so many life experiences while they're writing that I think that that contributed to their different styles of music. We can go to the to their their time spent in India. Are you able to kind of tell us the differences in their music pre-going to India? Is that something you can...
0: Well, the Indian influence started even before then, when they were filming the movie Help, uh, which I know is a favorite of yours. Yeah, it
1: is, definitely.
0: There was a sitar on set that George found, and he just started playing around with it. And he found that the sound of that instrument spoke to him in a way that nothing else had prior to that. And so it sort of started sneaking into their back catalog. Famously, Norwegian Wood was one of the first songs to use in popular music, an Indian influence. And then that was in 65. And then by the time we get back to Revolver in 66, you have a full on Indian song in Love You Too, which I think is a fantastic song. Um, I know it's a little too George Goes India for some people, but I love it. And then the triplet there gets uh, completed on Sgt. Pepper's with Within You Without You, which is a philosophical song, if I've ever heard one, but set to sitar music.
1: Is there, I don't know if there's a record of who kind of initiated that trip to india
0: was that george that was george yeah so i think you're t- you're talking about the uh the trip to rishikesh yep. in 67 after Sgt. peppers but before the white album right yep yeah yeah that was kind of at george's behest but they were all sort of in a place where they were feeling a lot of conflict in the group and they just needed to go there and sort of kind of concentrate on themselves they were worried about john and his drug use actually a lot so that was kind of a hey let's go to india and just get into some meditation and maybe lessen to bit of the drugs and John wrote a lot of great songs there a lot of people cite the white album as a high point of his songwriting prowess and a lot of people would credit that India trip to them wow but you used to live in India. I did. I spent two years there. So, how do Indians feel about the Beatles? Do you know?
1: Uh, did you D- get- I didn't hear. I, I wish I could have some cool story about it, but I honestly, I there's not. I didn't see a glaring influence of the Beatles. Mm. The sitar, though, is a beautiful, beautiful instrument. Oh my god! I can it? see why George saw that and picked it up and and uh, put in the albums. It's just such a beautiful, and it has that almost eerie sound to it yeah it's a little otherworldly yeah it's it's a beautiful instrument
0: it can all it gives you kind of the shivers when you hear it yeah a, a lot of people especially me uh when that kicks in in rage and wood i just relax Mm -hmm. and i just want to go where this song is taking me and it Mm -hmm. does kind of lend that otherworldly feel but the indian music didn't just go with the sitar it actually went into tomorrow never knows uh which has a single c chord in it repeated throughout the entire song which you know in rock and roll music it's not something you do you don't just play one chord but they were trying to take a little bit of that influence to say what can we do with this what can we bring From this area of the world and something different they're doing, and use our status as the biggest band in the world to learn a little bit and incorporate that into what we already know. Mm. You know, for a band who's the biggest in the world, and the temptation would be to play it safe, right?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: But they didn't do that. They really were relentless experimenters, and I think that's why they stayed relevant as long as they did and why they weren't just one of those bands that exploded really quickly and then faded. Flash in the pan, as some might say. Yeah, exactly. And when they were on the scene, the question they always got in the early years is, what are you going to do when this is all over? And they thought about it seriously. But I think the reason that they were able to stick around so long and make the mark that they did is because they never sat still. They always had a new trick up their sleeve that they could pull out. And then when they realized, well, I don't think we can I think that we're out of tricks in the sleeve, they called it quits. Should we take a break? We should take a break. All right. And we'll be back shortly with more Beatles therapy right after this. Welcome back to Beatles Therapy. I'm your host, Brett Bessa. Now, Charlie, when we left off, we were talking about the expanse of the Beatles' career and how each album is really different than the others. So you mentioned that Eleanor Rigby was your favorite song, but do you have, like, a favorite album as a whole? Hard Day's Night. It's a really good one.
1: I And I know how I mentioned Eleanor Rigby, mm-hmm. and then Hard Day's Night it's on the total... Opposite end of that, yeah. Um, specifically, I I should have known better.
0: God, that album is so upbeat. It's almost could I say it's almost like Beach Boysy. It, it, it yeah. No, it is a little oh, bit. Okay. It's got that. It's definitely got. I mean, obviously the harmonies are on point there. They have... Oh, God, that, that whole album has, like, a 12-string... Because George just got a 12-string guitar. That album is just sort of drenched in that whole sort of guitar sound. It is just from front to back. It's... It, that is... That's the album, too, I was listening to when I coined a Beatles Therapy... Because that... I just needed a little bit of upbeat at that time. The movie, too. Oh, yeah. The movie's out of this world. I mean, technically, the album's a soundtrack to the movie. So, when they were doing the project as a whole... They envisioned the movie first and then wrote the songs for it later, but it's come into its own. It's a classic album.
1: I was going to ask that. I was going to ask what came first, the, the, movie.
0: the movie or the album. In fact, they were doing the filming of it, and then John wrote Hard Day's Night during the filming of it. Wow. Yeah.
1: That was really cool.
0: I know. Also, kind of going off that, do you have a um, a specific time? You mentioned the, uh, the first time you heard them, but is there sort of a time that you remember going beyond just listening to a single song and like, oh, I'm actually getting into the Beatles now? Is there an event or something that sort of precipitated you starting to delve into their back catalog a little bit more? Yeah, it was
1: actually later. Way later is actually freshman year of college at K State. Mm. I remember we used to, you and me used to go up to the the record store. Yeah. And I used to thumb through the albums and I would just anything Beatles just pick it up, put it on the record player and just sit in the dorms. I think that kind of got me into listening to entire albums and kind of getting kind of the vibes I felt from from each album and that got me definitely into listening to more albums and getting into that rather than just the single songs.
0: Yeah, and an album is especially back then meant to be constructed as a whole experience in and of itself. Would which is when you get into deeper into sort of a a fan of music, you do kind of want to listen. I think of listening to an album and going through an emotional journey i feel like it's almost like a movie now it's like
1: you put it on and it's it's all connected into one and it almost is like listening to each song it's playing out like a movie in your head i know for hard days night it's a little different because it actually is a movie yeah i do picture each song with that scene in the movie but for other albums i kind of listen to it and i'm getting that whole entire Those different emotions and it's just it's actually not to sound cheesy or anything but it's it's a beautiful experience listening to an entire album in in its entirety
0: yeah in sequence it's you know a lot of these albums are stories you go through and you go through an up and down sort of feel with each one so, what's
1: the? Can you? Is there a story for Hard Days Night? Is is there like a certain experience in their lives that had them writing that? That I guess the movie and then the songs after that is. Is their experience Ye- in their life they went through?
0: Absolutely, that's they were on tour. Um, they were hitting the peak of it because when they were writing this stuff, they had just you know released their first two albums, and they were just they were promoting this stuff like crazy, and they were having to do a lot of uppers to compensate, and it was just a crazy schedule.
1: No, but Hard Day's Night.
0: So that album is the reason it's packed with energies because that's what they were going for at that time. And I think it really comes through on the record. I mean, even the slower songs, with the exception of maybe one or two, are, you know, still pretty upbeat and still pretty, uh, uh, just a lot of energy on that album, I suppose. And it's, it's great stuff. It oh, is, yeah. Usually to kind of get a sense of where someone's coming from as a fan, do you have a favorite Beatle? I do, yes. Okay. It's going to be George. George. That's yes. an interesting pick. I wouldn't have thought that. I I like
1: I wasn't when I first started listening to Beatles, didn't really have a fan until I started listening to his solo work. And that's mm. when I was like, wow, I really like his the emotion you really feel in his music and I, that's how I became a fan of George.
0: Mm. So you say you like his solo work. Like what's your favorite? Like All Things Must Pass?
1: Oh yeah that's a great song
0: yeah yeah and especially on that album a lot of the stuff he'd written for that was written with the Beatles and they just sort of saved up all of this all these great songs because John and Paul were passing on them mm-hmm. and. hmm kind of really unfair because you get down to Let It Be and he's doing stuff like Old Brown Shoe which isn't a bad song but like compared to All Things Must Pass or Isn't It a Pity it's like come on guys like these are some classic songs that you're like leaving out in the dust. I mean you you can listen to takes on the anthology series where there's them doing backing vocals for All Things Must Pass and god it's so much better with the Beatles harmonies in it and not that it's a bad song on its own but just you know they just put in a little extra with something with uh, John and Paul contributing
1: it'd be interesting to see it kind of go back and see how they would be if they each one of them had like a solo career at the beginning mm. to see what they're kind of where that musical style would have taken them it's Interesting thought.
0: I mean, I think they all probably could have or would have been musicians if they'd never even met each other. Paul was just, his output after the Beatles was insane. He was just a natural songwriter. So I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have made it in the record industry somehow. And Ringo was already a drummer for another band in Liverpool at the time or he was with the Beatles. So you got to think that that'd probably taken him somewhere.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's amazing to hear now, listening to kind of his solo work and then George's at the time his kind of what he was doing on his own even Ringo too is
0: oh Ringo not that his solo career has the depth of maybe a Paul or a George but the the third album he did Ringo was fantastic I mean it helps that that was the one with the contributions of most the other Beatles but still it's a really good album photograph is a classic song there's so much emotion there so earlier, you said that when freshman years of college is when we met and we used to listen to Beatles records on your record player in your dorm room. And I remember something out of that is we uh, we got the Blue album, the uh, 1967 and 1970, and we put that on the record player and we turned off all the lights and listened to Strawberry Fields Forever. Oh, my gosh. And that is one of my favorite Beatles songs. And that, uh, it was crazy. We all just got real quiet and listened to the the craziness that is that song. Can you go into, because you, you've mentioned before that you
1: kind of like that more, I guess, quote unquote, crazier Beatles songs. Can you go into why you like those songs more? Uh,
0: it's always hard to say why something sticks with you and why something doesn't, but for me, it's. I grew up uh, as a lot of people I think do thinking of the Beatles as super poppy stuff and so when I got uh, to hear some of the more interesting stuff that they did like I am the walrus and strawberry fields forever it really blew my mind about oh you can do these kinds of things in music because I'd never really had much of a exposure to psychedelic music at that time so for me hearing a band that i knew go from please please me or i saw her standing there to something crazy like blue jay way or tomorrow never knows was like a revelation in terms of like oh a band can be all of those things and that's okay and you can have that in a singular cohesive group and still have that kind of range it's it's crazy. It's hard to say why you like something, but I just kind of like the intricacies of psychedelic, their psychedelic period. I mean, the 65, 66, 67, that's if, you know, someone's holding a gun to my head, that's probably what I'd say in my favorite portion of the Beatles career.
1: Maybe a revolver
0: that's my favorite album. Yeah, just because I think it's so varied. Out-and-out rock-and-roll songs like Taxman paired with, you know, uh, ballads like here, there, and everywhere, and then finally you close with Tomorrow Never Knows, which is this just this crazy LSD trip of a song. If you can take a drug and put it into a song, Tomorrow Never Knows is like LSD, and you're just like, wow! Oh, yeah. It's It's, crazy.
1: I think it's the closest you'll get to LSD use without using it. Well,
0: I mean, that's what they intended the song to be in Mm -hmm. the first place, Mm -hmm. and I think they succeeded in that right. Um, Not that I know, but for what it's worth, I think it's, I would imagine it comes close. So I have this question, and I I like to get people's opinion on this. Let's say you have the chance to ask one of the Beatles, Alive or Dead, a question. What do you ask them, and who do you ask it to?
1: Um, I would ask probably I'd go to George Okay. and I would ask him if there was a point where he kind of felt like on the outside looking in because you kind of got that vibe he was kind of the quiet beetle and like what he saw what he saw yeah and I'm sure he because he was a very deep thinker mm-hmm. so it would be interesting to see if he had a, if he had a thought on that
0: alright well Charlie thank you so much for doing this interview with me it really means a lot man it's been and a pleasure thank you so much best of luck alright thank you i